You are listening to The Exchange by Evolution, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the APEC region. I am Danelle, Senior Consultant in Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I am your host. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. In this episode, we'll be diving into a topic that's crucial for success in the fast-paced world of product development, and that is building a high-performing product team. Today, we have a fantastic lineup of questions that will unravel the secrets behind crafting a high-performing product team, and I am delighted to be joined by three experienced product leaders. Here today, we have Richard Kwa, VP of Product from Vigo.com, Sunil Narayani, CPO of Densu, and Gwarav Tendon, Director of Product of Circles Life. Great to have you guys on this episode. So to start off, it would be great if each contributor could briefly introduce themselves. Maybe we could kick it off with Sunil. Thank you, Danel, uh, and and um, thank you for having me here. Uh, fantastic panelists as well. So um, sure, it's going to be an exciting discussion. Um, for all the listeners, uh, I'm Sunil. I'm the Chief Product Officer for Densu Media, uh, based in Singapore. Um, just a bit of an introduction about the company. So Densu is uh, a global agency network. And uh, we believe that we are designed for what's next, where we help our clients predict and plan for disruptive future opportunities. Uh, We are quite ingrained in the paths that we take, which are around growth in the sustainable economy. Uh, And, you know, the the way we operate is we take a people-centered approach to business transformation. Uh, Our core objectives are utilizing a lot of insights uh, and consumer uh, understanding to connect brands, content, commerce, and experience. And all of this is essentially underpinned by modern creativity. So typically clients would come to us uh, where we will manage a lot of their media and marketing dollars and drive a lot of business outcomes um, alongside ensuring best-in-class uh, customer experiences for the end users. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here as well. I think we'll move on to Richard. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so, so I'm Richard. I've been in WeGo for uh, three years now. Uh, so I'm leading uh, uh, all things uh, product in WeGo. So for those who don't know WeGo, so WeGo is the the biggest travel player in uh, the Middle East, North Africa market. Um, so we're dual headquartered uh, in Dubai and uh, Singapore, where where I'm based. So essentially, that involves. Uh, from our marketplace products to our booking products, to payments, and everything underneath uh, and in between. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to have this conversation. And uh, yeah, be fun. Yeah, great to have you. Thanks for that. And Gwaras? Hey, uh, thanks for having me here as well. Uh, again, like really excited to meet uh, both Richard and Sunil as well. Uh, uh, really looking forward to this uh, to this uh, topic. Uh, as you said, it's like a pretty critical topic for both organizations and uh, folks who are interested in product management. Uh, so definitely uh, quite excited about that. Uh, quick background about uh, about uh, circles and about me. I've, I've been building digital products for ten plus years now. Uh, I've been leading uh, product teams in both uh, India and uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, at Circles, um, uh, we are a fairly unique uh, telco. Uh, we actually like to call, call ourselves as the untelco uh, because we do a lot of things that uh, typical telcos don't. Uh, and uh, we pride ourselves in being quite innovative in terms of sort of like the kind of products that we bring to the market. And this is not just in terms of maybe 
the kind of plans that you would buy as a user, but also in terms of how you would engage with a telco, um, how you would, how your entire customer journey on a on a on a, with a telco would look like. Uh, so, uh, so for us, uh, it is very important for uh, anyone who's sort of like joining the Circles team to essentially be. Uh, very consumer focused, uh, so we're not so much about focused about like figuring out uh, how to utilize our network as so much as like figuring out how to solve problems for the consumer. And Telco just happens to be uh, the way that we solve problems for the consumers. Um, so yeah, we basically are trying to figure out new innovative ways of uh, driving connectivity and and sort of like solving problems through connectivity. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and and uh, and explaining how uh, how we build product teams as well. All right, thank you for the introduction, guys. Super excited for this podcast. I think everyone from different industry of companies of different sizes. So it's gonna be quite an interesting topic and a discussion. So to kick things off, let's of course lay the foundation with the first question, and that is how would you define a high performing product team? So maybe we can start off with Sunil. Sure, uh, it's a pretty difficult question, um, but I think it's it's. Uh, I think in today's time, as we know, people and talent is is the most important currency for any business to succeed. So, uh, I think high performance team um, or a high performance product team, in my mind, I think firstly is perhaps like a closed knit uh, group that is able to collaborate. That's been that's able to collaborate very se- seamlessly. Um, as we know, I think in today's time, um, the evolution is really quick. Lots of new disruptive emerging technologies are coming in. Uh, consumer needs are changing, which also means that this team is able to pre-gauge that, preempt that, and have plans that are in line with that. So essentially, they're able to adapt to the changing environments rather quickly. Uh, and I mean, essentially, as an outcome of all of this, the product team is able to deliver the right outcomes needed for the right consumers and as aligned to the company goals. I think it's only important to, of course, mention that at all points in time, uh, they keep the consumer needs at the center of everything they do. And um, again, are able to kind of innovate with experimentation, do quick testing. Uh, we do a lot of that in, in our lives as of today, because if you operate in the space of media and marketing, uh, the landscape is changing really quickly and, and there are a lot of forces at play. So we're able to keep all of that in mind, do small tests, but also come up with innovative products that we are able to put out in market, rather quickly get feedback on that and then adapt as we go. Um, I think uh, I didn't kind of mention in my intro, but uh, the core job that I do is essentially put products on on uh, for our own internal teams because Dentsu is a large media network. So we service our end clients as well. So we've got a dual customer, right? One is the end consumer, uh, which is serviced by our enterprise brands or clients. But a lot of the products that we will build is utilized by our own internal teams. So we got to we got to work through that complexity as well. Is that who's using the product and eventually how it's getting relayed back to the end consumer as an experience for them. So those will be some of my top thoughts um, on the high performance scene. And you guys have a similar thoughts, or do you guys think this is defined the way you think it is? Think. So you did touch upon, I think like some of the things are quite common in terms of like how we also think about uh, high performing uh, product teams. So like, I think there are four things in my mind. Like one is, uh, as what Sunil said, ownership of outcomes. Uh, and this includes both business outcomes and customer outcomes. So 
uh, having the right kind of like customer empathy, but also understanding the financial outcomes of like every decision that you're taking. Um, in some cases, that would mean that you should have like a very strong grasp of uh, how that uh, impacts like revenue, how that impacts uh, even, even in some cases going as far as having the skills to actually do business planning. Uh, so that if uh, you don't sort of like see that kind of uh, um, uh, rigor elsewhere in the organization, you sort of like able to at least I like, think through uh, those outcomes, right? So that's that's one uh, key thing in terms of ownership of outcomes, and that also includes, I think, what Sunil really r- rightly pointed out, having a very forward-looking view on what else is coming uh, on board, and and sort of uh, being able to actually create a clear product strategy to get to those uh, goals. So it's not about just here and now; it's also about sort of moving forward. That's one. Uh, the second one is essentially uh, having a growth mindset. So I think. Uh, it is very important for product teams to constantly be learning and innovating. Uh, and uh, this is both goes for their personal growth and for their professional growth. Uh, so I, uh, I think it is, it is really tough if a product team is sort of focused on just sort of like delivering what is required for this quarter or what is required for, uh, let's say, uh, this half or this year without sort of like thinking about where am I going with all of this? Uh, what is my like? What am I going to be doing in like a couple of years' time? Whereas, what the company could be doing in a couple of years' time? What it what and and all, I think all those questions are important for a product team to be proactively thinking through, right? Uh, the third thing is um, the ability to collaborate and get things done, right? I mean, like product management is classically known as a field where you don't manage anyone; uh, you basically have to like lead through influence, uh, and that is where it becomes very important for you to have that. Uh, a clarity of like how you're going to influence and how you're going to get things done. Sometimes it's about influencing. Sometimes it's just about rallying people together to uh, follow a common outcome, a common vision. Uh, and how do you sort of like unblock teams? Like uh, it's it's sometimes it's not about you who's getting the work done. It's about like how do you get uh, others to sort of like support you in getting things done as well, whether it's on the engineering side or whether it's on the marketing side or customer support any of these teams right so you have to have that kind of like collaboration uh spike as well i think the fourth uh one is essentially around having structured thinking uh, and structured communication i mean i can't stress the importance of this that like i have seen many product managers being excellent in terms of sort of like having the right customer empathy uh and sort of like focusing on the outcomes but a lot of it breaks down because they can't sell their uh ideas clearly or can't they they can't sell the problems uh clearly so if you and even when other stakeholders bring their problems uh how are you able to sort of like break that down into a very clear kind of like uh, a set of sub problems and then sort of like go from there to the to the answers otherwise you sort of like tend to run the risk of directly jumping onto ideas and not having that kind of like first principle thinking of getting to the solution right so I, I think like these four characteristics are quite important for the product team to be like really, really effective in an organization in terms of driving just not just company outcomes, but also like right outcomes for themselves. Richard, do you agree with Gaurav? Yeah, yeah, I think um, I agree with uh, Gaurav and uh, Sunil. I think I, uh, from my view is that uh, I won't touch on the, I guess on the individual, like the growth mindset, that's, you know, the ownership, you know, like they've already touched on that. Maybe I'll touch on the, this. This question kept me up at night. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, well, what is a high performing team? And I realized it's almost like um, I haven't watched Brady Bunch in a long time, but it's almost like it's not necessarily Brady Bunch where everyone looks the same or acts the same. 
it's more like something like uh, the modern family, like a high performing modern family, whereby they're all very different. They all mean well. Most actually, most of them probably don't get along. But if they have varied ideas, you know, at some point they will eventually work it out. They will hug it out, and then uh, even if they don't agree, you know, we'll, we'll all we're all in this together. Um, and so I think I'm I'm looking for that. Um, I think a high performing team would also have the the diversity, um, and I guess we can touch on that later on the uh, future questions. Because, um, but but the other one is that I think. The one, the high-performing teams I also notice uh, are op constantly optimizing their own process or the the way they work. So it's almost like they they have their eye on the ball, which is the the outcome. Get that? But then they're not uh, they're not um, uh, trying to tweak the goal or the outcome. They they're just trying to tweak the way they work. Um, and then eventually, you know, that they will get to their outcome. Because if I think if there's one thing that COVID taught us, no matter how hard you work, no matter how right your decisions were during that time, you would have still lost anyway. <laughs> but so there are some things outside of your control, some things within your control. Um, so I think it's the, you know, the the diversity, the at some point alignment and challenging of each other, and then I think it's the focusing on optimizing the process um, to align to the outcome. Okay, it's interesting you said that actually because I'm definitely not a product leader but I of course talk to many product leaders every day. I think I, I see a lot of them kind of using this particular, I, got, I guess, defining in this way as well where they're hiring more cross-functional product teams. So basically people with diverse skill sets and basically collaborating together to create seamless products, right? I think that's what a lot of the strategies for product hires are nowadays. So I think quite interesting that it's pretty aligned in the market. Um so, of course, now that we have that defined, we'll move on to, of course, how do you build the team, right? So, as seasoned professionals, you're likely to have encountered, you know, various strategies to building effective teams. I mean, we'd love to hear the methods that has proven effective for you guys. I mean, feel free to just take the lead, anyone who wants to start. Yeah, I mean, sure, I, I can share my, ex my experience. So, uh, I mean, look, I've been in this uh, new role for, I think, about two years now. Uh, and, um, you know, within our company, we actually have quite a few product teams and, and we operate at various different levels. Uh, essentially, um, it would be global, uh, regional, at, at regional levels, and then sometimes even market levels. Given that we, you know, we got about, about 70,000 people across and we're servicing a lot of Fortune 100 and, and beyond clients. So the needs are different. Also, the market nuances are different. And eventually, a lot of our products, when we talk about products, they could essentially be helping sell a service better or make a customer experience better. So the complexities are quite vast. Uh, one of the ways in which we are looking to develop a lot of teams or, or I mean, I can talk about the team that I run and, and manage. Uh, it, it, it is not the largest team or product that you'd imagine. You know, it operate about 10 to 12 people. It would be quite cross-functional. So you would have people who can do great deal on right coding, they understand the hard skills of that. Engineers, data analysts, data science people who understand machine learning, AI. Uh, we've got developers uh, and, and also project managers just to kind of bring all the shapes and forming place and the right checks and balances. Now, the benefits of this is you're able to really bounce up ideas rather quickly. You're able to have cross-functional ideas run through as a tangible output 
you're able to build MVPs quickly, test it out before we go into the semi-enterprise or enterprise build of sorts. So those are some of the things that we find that we're able to really truly take up the agile methodology, you know, as we kind of operate around this. Um, and, and finally, uh, one of the things that I am a big, big proponent for is that uh, you know, as I think, uh, you know, Gaurav said, product management is something that, you know, you don't really manage, right? Everybody manages it. But uh, it's very important that when you are putting together a product team, they understand the core of your business. What's the business you are in? Because otherwise, the understanding of the product can be very far away from what the consumer needs are. And also, it could be sometimes washed away with the hard skills that we perceive to kind of developing a line of code or a piece of code. So it's really important for, let's say, the even the engineering team or the developer team to understand the core problems that the business is trying to solve for, or in other words, the industry that they're operating on. Like So for us, extremely important for our teams to understand the media landscape, the digital marketing landscape. What can Google offer or what can Meta offer or what can LinkedIn offer or what would be the other market uh, solutions in play because end of the day the products that we'll be building on will operate within this landscape and will have to provide distinct and differentiated value which is why the clients and the end consumers will get delighted so those are some of the points uh, that i think are, are important as we kind of look to building high performance teams i think um uh Sunil made a good point about um sort of uh, like having the domain knowledge. And I think like this is where, at least in our experience, uh, so I'll maybe like talk about that a little bit first and then uh, touch upon like how the other specific points of how we think about like building uh, uh, effective product teams, right? So uh, we do think about this fact about like hiring a generalist versus a specialist. And I think like it might be interesting to sort of like see whether it's always about domain knowledge or it's like sometimes about like hiring a generalist because I do see in some cases uh, like in some of our previous organizations as well, we where you require a very specific kind of like capability it could be related to uh, like, if, for example, in the fintech industry, it could be related to like sort of uh, fraud prevention or in in case of uh, like a transport kind of a product it could be related to how you sort of like manage fulfillment engines and like those those kind of things, right? So, uh, but in some kind of cases where you need like, for example, a growth PM or you need uh, to sort of like uh, have somebody who can really like uh, uh, focus on driving like higher retention. Uh, like I, I, I'm not sure if at that point I would index too much on sort of like the domain knowledge. I would really like the person to actually bring in skills from like learning from other industries and 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 then try to innovate in this industry, right? Because the problems uh, would not be that different. I do agree. I think like what Sunil says that in some cases with uh, in case of Martech products, for example, I think like that that specialization is is definitely needed, right? Uh, I think like a couple of other things. Uh, so it maps very clearly, at least in my mind, to sort of the topics that we were talking about in terms of like what are the characteristics of a high performing team. And I see a little bit from I think like what Richard said. Like I think diversity is definitely important. So we definitely look at sort of like the way we do hiring. Uh, and uh, sort of like whether we're getting the right set of people in, whether it's even internal transfers or like uh, or uh, getting people from uh, from uh, other organizations. Uh, and the second part, even about like self-learning, right? So there is a lot of sort of uh, uh, process and feedback that goes into sort of like how the team improves over time. Um, and I think there is what I, what I really like uh, is 
there's this uh, uh, article or a blog uh, by by this product coach called uh, uh, Tammy Rice. Uh, I don't know if if you guys have heard of it or her, but like she's written this article which says uh, everything is a product. So when you start thinking of everything as a product, you start realizing that uh, your uh, product team is also a product. Right. So which basically means you have to do the same things that you would do for any product with the team to sort of like improve the team. So like one is how is the team performing, but then you have to put in the right feedback. Uh, you have to put in uh, so that you're learning in terms of like what went wrong. So you'd sort of like have some version of a team initially. They would basically be working in a certain way. You'll have to figure out whether that's working or not. You'll have to give feedback. You'll have to you'll have to like iterate, improve and then become better. Right. So so you have to do a lot of the things that you would do in typically building a product. You would have to really think through about what are the outcomes you want to achieve with that team. Is the success of the team dependent on whether you meet the financial goals of that year, or is it dependent upon the fact that uh, we uh, we are we increase our customer love by a certain kind of like a, a factor, or is it basically just that that team has you have created a second level of leaders in the team? So like people have grown in the team. So like it depends upon what the outcomes of that product is. And therefore, then you sort of like build a team around that, right? So I think like when, at least like when I think about it from that lens, it becomes very clear for me uh, because I can apply the principles of product building into building a team, right? And I think that that's, that's where then what we typically do is for providing more ownership, we very clearly define what their OKR should be. Uh, we can very clearly sort of like form a structure around it. Uh, in some cases, you know, to sort of like combine that with collaboration, we basically make sure that they have... Uh, the right squads, which basically means that the right people from design, from uh, research, engineering are part of the same squad, so that they basically all come collectively owning that 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 outcome that basically will uh, will drive the the final sort of goals for the for the company, and it also enables this kind of like uh, growth through like coaching. Uh, we do these things like individual development plans, so that I, whenever I anybody in my team is essentially. Uh, almost the first or second conversation that I have with anybody in my team is I want to understand what their expectations are, what their personal goals are. And then we sort of sit down and create an individual development plan. We say that, oh, we go over the next 12 months, this is what you want to achieve. And we're going to check in whether you're sort of like moving towards that and what, how can I support you in getting to that outcome, right? So it, it, I really like this lens of everything as a product. And I guess as product leaders, we probably will, will appreciate it that at a meta level, it sort of uh, makes a lot of sense when you start thinking about it like that. At least for me, it sort of like lends a lot of clarity of how we should think about building a team, similar to like how we think about building a product. So it's a, it's funny because um, I was thinking about it last night and I thought, oh, you know, I, I called it um, uh, social engineering and I thought that's very creepy. <laughs> now, now that you've explained it this way, okay, yeah. So I'm not the only crazy one. I'm not the only nerd. So that that's good. That's good. So I, I absolutely agree. But, so I um think uh, I think a few months ago I came across this quote where you know like during COVID you gain weight and then you you know um your your health goes down the drain. Then you're just trying to pump yourself up. And I saw this quote that people don't rise to the occasion; they fall to their training. Um, or slash habits so i thought oh actually yeah that 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 makes sense um that reinforces that okay so all i have to do uh is make sure that everyone behaves the way and the way they build products the way they decide is how we want it to to be so then you start injecting all these different 
steps or processes that they have to follow. And then a few times that it becomes a habit. And then when you know, uh, your website breaks or apps break, then they, they suddenly fall back to, to that. Um, uh, so it was a great social engineering um, experiment. Um, but yeah, so I completely agree to Goro. Um, the, I think the, the other one that really helped because uh, with, with WeGo, I think, um, uh, I mean, we're, we're not a massive company, but we're also not a small company. So at the start, it was a bit of a struggle to try and spread these. So I was trying to, um, I got advice from a friend, say, hey, look for your, uh, look for your Avengers, find your Avengers, because then when you find your Avengers across the different parts of the business, it's a lot easier to infect everyone else. I said, that sounds more like a virus, <laughs> Avengers, but it, 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 that, that really helped, uh, because then when you have, um, over time, when you have conversations about, okay, well. Um, did this process work? Did the way we prioritize the product work? Like, it's almost like people, uh, your stakeholders have already been brainwashed by your Avengers and then you're already all in alignment. So yeah, that, that was the other one. And it's quite interesting that it's quite serendipitous that like we actually have like something called an Avengers program internally, <laughs> which, which is, I mean, it's not within the product team, but it's like in the broader organization where essentially it's they, these people who are sort of like essentially your flag bearers and they will essentially like uh, carry sort of like these kind of like strategies forward and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, it's quite interesting to put it that like you, you, that, that was the term used, uh, it's probably not like uncommon given the the spread of marble but but yes i do agree that's that's uh that's the way i guess like uh it helps in sort of like spreading that knowledge or spreading that uh, carrying that message uh forward right so you know actually failing anything sorry go ahead sorry just wanted to tell what the program is for us uh, in Densu. so so we, we've got uh, a similar one where we call them as game changers and uh, I mean, of course, there's a lot of appreciation behind that. And, and it's, a, it's a journey for these guys to kind of be there. But very, very inspirational program internally. I thought it was X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. But anyway, it's pretty good. I know I'm, not, I'm the only one that's not a product leader here. But I think I've heard the actual term for this kind of um, strategy. And it's called like T-shaped skill set model or something like that. Someone has mentioned it to me like a couple of weeks ago. I kind of remember it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... It was saying they try to use a T-shaped skill set model to build team a team where someone is like an expert in this aspect but kind of knows the rest, and they they kind of hire people based on like data, and then someone like um technical skill set, someone growth, and then someone like marketing. So they, they kind of shape the Avengers. I don't know where there's the actual term, but I heard it like yeah. a week ago, and I, it might be. <laughs> but I, I think this was a terminology. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, this whole terminology that was, uh, I think, like it was created by the founders of IDEO, this design agency, and uh, that was founded in the US. I think they were the they were the first ones who sort of like created this terminology of the T-shaped personality. But it is exactly what he said. Like basically, you're a generalist in a lot of things and a specialist in something. Uh, and I think like this also goes back to Richard's earlier point about diversity, right? That uh, if you basically have like just sort of like people who don't have like a spike in any one area, like you sort of like don't get the sum of the outputs is not bigger than uh, than each of the outputs by themselves, right? So uh, you have to sort of like uh, uh, think about this T-shaped personality. Uh, I, do, I don't think there are, uh, I remember even when IDEO sort of like came up with this, uh, uh, with this concept, I, it is really hard to find those kind of personalities. So I wouldn't, I, I would also qualify this by saying that in, in principle, it is true. 
in practice, it is very, very hard to get like all people like that. Like you watch usually, and that's why I said like you usually get like generalists, um, and they may have like some sort of like a you know like a small T somewhere of like basically some uh, specific skill set. Uh, let's say like somebody is high on like consumer empathy, but it will be very hard to find like people who are uh, good at a lot of things and then like a very high spike on like customer empathy and similarly like someone else right you'll sort of like see that either the the top bar of the t or the of the like the pillar of the t sort of like becomes smaller or something like that right so that's that's uh and that's at least like what my experience has been and this t-shirt personality yeah if, if, if i could add as well i mean I, th- I think the other other uh take on that is essentially let's assume that you start from a technical domain let's say you are an engineer i mean i, I can kind of speak to myself as well because that's what my graduation degree is but then uh, over time, I moved into marketing and uh, moved into digital. And I guess as of today, digital and technology and kind of coding are all converging. So it's a great space to be. But typically, when we look at journeys of, of today's leaders, they would have essentially started from one domain, which is where they have gained a lot of experience and, and they are the best at that. But as they're going to move through the rungs and then, you know, have teams, they pick up, take up bigger roles, bigger scopes. They have to then kind of start start working with uh, cross-functional teams. They got to have better communication, a broader industry knowledge, and then they pick up other domains as well along the way, which of course may may not be as deep as the one they kind of essentially started with. So you eventually form that T-shaped personality where they are strongly grounded in one of the domains, but then have picked up others along the way, which then helps them be that leader, but still have that. Uh, you know, strong roots to uh, a certain domain. And I think I'd also mention a very interesting uh, piece that I read. I mean, it's, 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 it's these are rare individuals, uh, essentially known as polymaths, which means that you're not just very deeply rooted or domainly expert in, in one field, but you're an expert in two or more fields. Now, what that essentially quickly does is you're able to solve problems very differently to the average person out there. For example, if it's something around a consumer research, a deep technical problem and something related to marketing, essentially you are an engine by yourself to probably put out a product which also understands the consumer is able to do the research and also put a product out. I mean, very rare personalities, but hopefully, uh, you know, we are able to get some polymaths on our team, but something that uh, I'm a big fan of, right? It's it's a hard to get space, but, uh, you know, trying to learn uh, how close you can get to that. And it's interesting because no one um, here spoke about uh, about Scrum or... Um, well, I mean, you know, Sunil, you, you briefly mentioned uh, Agile, but it, it's not like, it, it's not the focus of the conversation. And I'm, I'm finding that um, uh, to you know, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, candidates out there, especially new into product manager or want to get into product management, Somehow there's this misconception that, oh, I know Scrum, then I can do product management. But it, it's like a 1% or it's like a tiny portion of everything else. And uh, I would even argue that now where product management is going, that the, the Scrum part is already outsourced to either a Scrum master or the team is just self-organizing. So you don't even have to deal with that anymore. Um, but but uh, so, somehow like, people have this misconception. Um, I don't know if you guys are seeing that. Yeah, I, I think like I mean, in my experience, at least the the role of a scrum master or in some organizations called like a product owner, 
uh, is essentially like, yes, you said, like, I mean, it's a very small percentage of what a PM's role is, right? Uh, and I think like we try to sort of like figure out the right processes uh, to sort of like make sure that like that's not sort of like what a product manager is just supposed to do. So, for example, in earlier this quarter, we actually sort of like reorganized the entire product team to have uh, every product manager own a single OKR across all the markets. Um, whereas earlier, essentially what used to happen was there that the whole product, the role was that I, a product manager as well for a set of products and for a market, and then they basically do the whole scrum management for that market. Uh, and what he said, okay, like, I mean, that's just like one thing that they're supposed to do, but like they, they're supposed to think about the outcome at a holistic level, right? Uh, and I sort of like see that at least like in most of the organizations that are more product, uh, that are more advanced in their product journey, uh, they have moved on from this like concept of like having a lot of focus on Scrum. Uh, I think it's just like one of the processes that the team needs to, needs to follow, right? Yeah, I think uh, just moving to your, uh, I mean, th this is a nice dovetail to your the the next point on uh, around measuring the productivity of the product team. The, some sort of, um, uh, um, I think what I'm seeing is from a lot of candidates I'm interviewing is that there's this obsession about, oh, you know, how do I count the number of points that were, uh, you know, like, let, let's look at the burn down charts. Okay, that that's nice. But where are you going with this? Oh, you know, I want to get stuff done. Um, but I, I think people forget uh, that where they are going. And then when you start asking questions, actually, where, with your previous experience, with your product, where are you going? How do you organize your roadmap? Oh, we organize it by timelines. Okay, but what? where are you going? Um, so so my, my personal view is that um, uh, I think uh, a lot of companies should move towards something along the lines of more outcome-driven rather than, than timeline-driven uh, or like a project driven. Okay, well, if it, for example, if it's a compliance thing, especially if it's a fintech company or a bank, yeah, sure, like that one, yes, you do have a hard time. But generally speaking, if you're just trying to, if you're trying to grow your user base, you're building out features or fixing stuff, um, you're, you want to launch new products, it really has to be focused on the outcome um, rather than, um, uh, rather than the, the timelines. I mean, I don't know. How do you guys organize your your roadmaps? Yeah, I, I I could chip in here. So I think Richard, I'm completely agree. I think we we do need to have that broader view around you know where we're going, what's the eventual goals, uh, what's the outcomes. We have in benefits. I mean, especially when you know the new products being put out, we need to understand the capacity for a team. We need to understand the definition of the work that needs to be done, clearly assigned to different individuals. Uh, and, you know, we, we do follow uh, certain agile methods. I mean, you mentioned about, you know, story points, etc. Uh, I mean, we, we do have that uh, that we look at because essentially it just helps us to uh, stay on track, gather quick feedback. Uh, I think uh, it, it could be debated as well. And, you know, looking at it from a very open mind is that essentially the way you benchmark that is you look at your own historic bench, you know, benchmark it then and say how you're incrementally, uh, you know, doing better or not. Right. And it, it, it's more about your output on input. Uh, right. Is that is a moving better? So that's true. I think it, it has certain uh, areas which it could be fixed on. But I, I uh, for us, what's really helped us is those very large chunky complex uh you know problem statements or problems or deliveries into smaller ones align them into you know two week sprints etc where every individual has a clear goal and and they assign their tasks different 
kidding. points of sorts to kind of say that. Uh, but more importantly, the regular catch-ups that help us uh, get that immediate feedback in a cross-functional manner so that, you know, we're not kind of wasting time. For example, we also look at product backlogs and, and you know, sometimes you might have a developer finish a certain task and then move on to the next one, hopefully in the best priority. But if you don't have that regular connects or, 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 the, or the immediate feedback coming in, they might pick up a task which is perhaps not supposed to be done or is not getting prioritized. So we do do though break it down into you know smaller chunks to essentially look at our productivity scores many different ways and I'd agree and and it's a very hard one. There's no one uh, one way or one silver bullet, but it it kind of goes into the fact that how large the structure is, how complex the structure is, but uh, that that breaking down into smaller measurable um, aspects of value and and again defining what value would mean to you uh, does help to keep that. Uh, you know, I guess the train moving in the more continuous fashion uh, of progress. Yeah, I think that in terms of outcomes, I do agree. I think like there is this a movement that has been going on for a while in terms of sort of like moving from delivery teams to uh, uh, to sort of like being more sort of outcome oriented teams, right? And I think I would say like in most of the organizations, it's like that journey hasn't been completed yet. Uh, and that goes back to the point on like timelines versus outcomes. Uh, so I think there are certain things where I guess like you need to have a mix of both. Like, for example, if there's a product launch where you have to plan like a marketing campaign around it, you do need to have like some delivery timeline to it. Uh, but what we've tried to do recent uh, uh, what are, what are, what are the changes that we're making uh, like in the, the last quarter and that we are sort of like trying to expand now is that we've we're trying to align with like a set of shared OKRs across uh, different functions uh, so that we are all sort of like gunning for the same targets. And then we're signing up for those outcomes and what we're trying to measure is like our success on a on a week-on-week and a month-on-month basis on how much closer we are getting to those targets. And not in terms of saying that whether we got to that kind of delivery outcome or not. Which basically means that like in certain kinds of cases, if I actually don't deliver on time, I will not meet that outcome. So it's sort of like implicitly baked in there somewhere, but but you're not sort of like trying to measure based on that. If I can, in the meantime, figure out a different way to get to that outcome, uh, then that's great. Like, I mean, I basically, I'm still sort of like on track to like meet that outcome. Right? So at least on the outcome part, that's like one way of measuring the productivity. But I think there are a few other aspects of like a product, uh, uh, an effective product team that we try to measure. So one is uh, on uh, sort of like just the overall employee engagement, right? So we do this like ENPS internally. I don't know if like you guys, uh, might have this in your organizations as well, which basically gives us a sense of like what is uh, what is the team facing. This so this goes back to that point of like getting feedback. Right, you need to understand like what are what is the challenges that the teams are facing. So that ENPS becomes really important. Uh, we are also now trying to layer that with like a three sixty degree feedback because you're talking about collaboration. So how do your stakeholders sort of like feel that you are uh, you're, you're collaborating with them? Are there things where basically we could improve? Um, and are we being like the right kind of like partners for them, right? And then the last one is essentially around growth, which is what I talked about earlier about the individual development plan that's sort of like making sure that we are basically moving towards that, uh, those milestones. So at least like those those three or four ways we try to measure, not just on the outcomes, but then also on the individual themselves, on their stakeholders and sort of like trying to trying to uh, uh, take a more holistic view on sort of like what the, what the, whether the product team is actually being effective or not. I think it's a great point, uh, Gaurav. I think the the piece that uh, definitely resonates, uh, you know, for us is that 
we do have uh, regular check-ins with the teams. I mean, this is besides the one-on-one meetings where we just start doing the task-oriented check-in uh, and where the difficulties are. But we also have a regular quarterly check-in. It's primarily to understand how motivated the team currently is, right? Because it's a very big factor in terms of keeping them, uh, you know, engaged, right? And and uh, I kind of go back to this concept of being in flow. Uh, essentially, you know, it's it's come from, a, uh, if I recollect, it's come from, um, I think it's come from a book called Building High Performance Teams. I can't, can't kind of yeah. uh, remember that now. But essentially, it's like where, where we are able to provide a job to be done or a challenge to an individual which is neither too easy for them and nor is the uh, nor is the um, task too complicated right so if it's way too easy they're going to get bored really fast if it's way too complicated and not in accordance to their skill set uh, they might just get burned out or or might just not want to kind of carry on so having that very healthy tension of uh, you know the chase of being in flow to deliver that work which is motivational as well as well as learning oriented i think that's what we try and focus and, and assign as we kind of proceed with with uh, our development roadmaps. But again, going back to the point, super important of having a pulse on, uh, you know, are the teams motivated? Are they happy? Right? We just say that happy teams produce better work and are more productive and, and unhappy environments perhaps are unproductive to the, to the, to the get-go. So those are the other things that I, I would definitely add on as part of, you know, building the culture for the teams to kind of thrive. And I think if there's one thing I can be thankful for for Scrum, I know I'm kind of doing a U-turn, but there are, you know, so I'm not a, I'm not against it at all. I'm just, um, so so I think it's it's building that habit of re- doing a retrospective, um, where everyone, um, uh, there, there's an avenue for everyone to be transparent, because then you don't have to wait like ah, oh, what you said, so no, it's not just a quarterly, it's not just a mid-year or yearly, it's essentially every sprint. Every sprint, you get a pulse and a pulse check, and then you can course correct. Yeah, so I think interesting thought from all of you guys. I guess you covered about the methods, you also covered about how to measure if those are productive or those are efficient or effective. I think um, we talked about just now, I heard a couple of you guys talked about en- keeping your team engaged, you know, motivated, and also in line. Uh, I wanted to actually share your thoughts on how, you know, running a remote team now has host as a challenge. I know all three of you run remote teams currently and to form this T-shape or Avengers team, you definitely have to have people from around the world, right? You can't possibly have them all located in the same place. I mean, did you guys find after, you know, moving into the COVID situation and having your teams work remotely or, you know, from home, has that posed as a certain challenge on creating a more kind of efficient and high-performing team? I think the first time when COVID hit, at least like I remember my, my product team was like, I think the product managers were the most unhappy with the fact that they couldn't sort of like meet and get things done. Because like, I remember when we were trying to do simple things like, like simple whiteboarding stuff, right? There is, we haven't found like even till date, like a good remote whiteboarding. And you just can't get the same sort of like uh, output as sort of like standing in front of a whiteboard and, and brainstorming, right? So they aren't like, I mean, we have like the Myros and and fig jams of the world, but like they don't get you that same kind of like engagement as what a whiteboard does, right? So that's like, I mean, there there's some things where just like product managers, I think like have faced frustration. But I think like COVID's also taught us how to work in those remote kind of environments. So for example, during COVID, I think we became much better at at asynchronous alignment. So sort of like we could still keep the ball moving forward in terms of sort of like making sure that we are 
documenting things really well. We are making sure that our communication is really structured, really sharp, uh, and and therefore people are then like commenting on that document, and we're closing things out asynchronously, not sort of like calling meetings again and again and again. And I think like it it took like some time to get to that kind of thing, but I think like we started at least I have seen most of the product managers have now started building that muscle to operate in a remote environment, right? Uh, but I think like there are two kinds of like remote, right? One is uh, when you're remote from the user or sort of like the the commercial business stakeholders. And the other is where you're remote from sort of like the engineering team. Uh, and I think like in both kind of these uh, uh, result in like different kinds of challenges. Like when you're basically remote from a user, I think that is the tougher problem to solve in terms of like driving higher productivity because then the product managers don't have like a lot of insight into what the user behavior is. They're still trying to like do those things. Like I remember we used to have a product team based in India, uh, which was basically building driver tools for uh, uh, for the drivers in Singapore. And they could not sort of like understand at that point, like what are the challenges that they face, right? And I think like a similar kind of thing when like we were trying to build like products for Indonesia, like we, we had to like go and like until we could go there and actually see how people ride around on the roads, you can't figure out like what kind of challenges they face, right? And I think that is the biggest challenge in, in driving high performance with uh, product teams as compared to the engineering side. I think on the engineering side, we've gotten better at processes, at documentation and some of these kind of things that we can still do, uh, uh, make sure that we are sort of like being effective in driving outcomes and even collaboration and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it is it, it has been a bit more challenging, I think, in terms of like being away from the user. Um, I, I mean, I remember when sort of like the travel opened up for the first time, like our first guide to all the PMs was like, go, go to the markets, <laughs> talk to users, like, I mean, uh, and, and sort of like get a pulse of like what is being done because some of the product managers just had never seen those markets uh, and it was really hard uh, for them to sort of like uh, try to operate um, uh, in, in that kind of environment or get the right insights in that kind of environment. And I'm assuming they were buying flights from WeGo, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, shameless. Yeah. What about you, Richard? Richard, I know you just held like a whole podcast, a whole whole product team building workshop, right? And your team is located remotely. I mean, do you have any challenges with handling half a remote team? Yeah, I I absolutely hate the. So I I was deep inside me after COVID, you know, like it's gone, passed behind, travels back. I, I was really hoping that the world would turn back. Um, and clearly it, it didn't like you have to, you know, uh, live with a hybrid world now. Um, but it's, it, it really is a struggle. Uh, and so, um, last week was face to face. So, <laughs> um, cause I couldn't take it anymore. And, and also I, I do everything I can to try and encourage people to use stickies and paper, you know, not just for the nostalgic feeling, but I really noticed that the engagements, uh, are really different for face-to-face writing and not looking at a, at a screen um so i think i'm trying to to pry people back i think i'm one of those people where i'm normally an introvert but you know like where you said girl I, ca- I can't do my work how much do my work here? i'm not you know yeah so it's a it's a challenge that i'm i'm personally work uh working through with the team um but stuff around you know the like what you said the habits of filling stuff up, making sure that it's not meeting after meeting. Uh, uh, and I think also when things break in the crisis mode, 
um, I, I find that just getting everyone in a room and just forcing people to say, okay, just turn on your camera, you know, we're all in this together, somehow just diffuses the, the situation. Uh, and then it becomes more human. So I think it's trying to find ways to make it a lot more human and more like face-to-face -face still. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would... I would agree to a very large extent. I mean, I, I think though, the the viewpoint I have is uh, we will increasingly go into hybrid working environments. We will increasingly work remotely. Uh, but you know, the point that you mentioned around you know building the trust with the teams across the teams uh, that sometimes can be a bit more difficult. Uh, the other piece as well, I think, to what Gaurav mentioned um, was uh, you know being away from the user base and, and their problems because that's one part of it and and also you know there are you know cultural differences do exist and and they can be compounding uh, on on top of it so i think from the point of technical solutions we will have some we will adapt to some uh, i think it goes back to the softer aspects sometimes around you know that culture and that trust and that informal the whiteboarding and the feeling of having those chats and connects uh, which really feel that you can move fast, you can, you know, all in together and doesn't seem like a job or a task, right, which is a timely delivery, etc. Uh, you know, again, you know, it's, it's back to the thing of, you know, having those informal meetups or team activities or bonding activities. They really, really go a long way. And not just for product teams, I think for uh, any team, essentially, right, that that one connect is, is important for them to feel part of that team culture and what they're trying to drive is beyond just them, but it's more the team and that outcomes associated. Okay, yeah, I mean, definitely great insight. I think having the workforce a bit more distributed and ability to collaborate, I think, more seamlessly in a remote environment is definitely kind of like a future trend in product management that people need to adapt to. I mean, besides remote working, I mean, do you guys see any other trends that might be emerging in the near future in terms of product management? Can we have a workshop without talking about AI? Uh, I mean, she was just going to mention AI. Hey, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, I don't want to open a Pandora's box. Like, see, I, I, I think, like, I mean, yeah, that is one clear trend, at least. Like, I feel that both uh, in terms of sort of like how teams engage with each other and how we sort of like understand, uh, build products like for our users and how the team become more productive, I do feel like technology is more readily available uh, for people to like do. Um, uh, really interesting stuff, right? I mean, like recently we were trying to like figure out, uh, like we there was a survey that we had done, and we were, there was a lot of like go back and feedback from the survey, uh, and we basically had to just figure out what is the key message from like all this go backing feedback, right? Now you basically like sit down and go through like a thousand pieces of like robotic feedback, or you could basically just feed it into like uh, 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 yeah, like a, a generative AI tool. And you could basically get like what the key messages are, like what are like most of the users talking about, like what is the key sort of, and that sort of like helps you become way more productive because now literally sitting in the same brainstorming meeting, we could just like start talking about, we know the insight rather than saying, okay, like we have a survey and now like you would have to now schedule another meeting when like uh, you have the insights, right? So I feel like definitely one clear thing is uh, all these tools will play a major, major role in making the team more productive. Uh, how much of a, how much are these product managers able to use that for creating like different kinds of consumer products or for improving like team uh, uh, sort of like uh, 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 their, their team the way they manage their teams 
I think that's still to be seen. I haven't sort of like seen a lot of sort of like standout applications of technology yet. So that's that's definitely one uh, one trend. I think the other thing is uh, which I feel um, is becoming interesting in the field of product management is that uh, the barriers in general are coming down uh, to sort of like uh, both in terms of sort of like your consumer products and in terms of sort of like people getting into product managers. So product managers always have to like keep upskilling keep making sure that sort of like they are they are staying ahead of the curve. But at the same time, even the products that they build, I feel like like the whole kind of like uh, thing where you had like a very strong moat and you would be able to sort of uh, uh, defend your position for a long time is uh, slowly getting defeated because technology is becoming again like so easily accessible to like every startup out there uh, that it's very easy to sort of like get started off and, and get to a certain scale, right? After that, of course, like I mean, a lot of things play play uh, play a role. So I I do think that's the other trend that product managers need to start thinking about. I think there will be a lot of focus going forward on product managers that can think about how do you sort of like grow and retain customers. And I think that's where uh, uh, I actually think that, that that kind of a field is going to grow in the field of like product management. Yeah, I think super interesting you said that. I think AI definitely plays quite a big part. I think as someone who hires for product and speak to product managers every day for the last three years i think what i've realized now is that the trend is people yeah people are leaders are looking for more data-centric pms and also using kind of ai to extract data to create kind of actionable insights for the for their team and where their product is headed to so a lot of data i guess high demand for data and knowledge of ai is needed which is what i realized this year especially has been the main focus i'm not sure if you guys have hired similar pms but i think so far for me i think data pms have been the most high in demand this year for us. Um, I think for uh, for me, it's more of the creativity, um, because if um, the, uh, I've noticed that the the PMs who are really good in whatever product you throw at them, they have a very high chance of of um, uh, making it excel or, or grow or find the issue, because to 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 get that creativity, you know. Uh, you need to look at the numbers. You need to have the you know, the, the empathy to the customers. It's almost like a, I think there was a term I saw online, something along like uh, online's product intuition. It's almost like a blanket catch-all. Um, and then if I try to think about what are the, what what does this intuition mean? It's a lot of this. It's like thinking outside the box. It's not accepting, you know, not accepting uh, no, you know, for an answer. Um, like digging deeper into the first principles, uh, uh, stuff like that. But I think the other, I think the, I as um in my personal time, I love trading in the financial markets. Absolutely enjoy it. So I I think um uh, if there's one thing that a trader should know is there um and applying that in product management is that you just don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You don't know if I don't know what the trends are in the future just consistently make multiple beds and spread across different verticals um, because one of that, you have a high chance of one of that being right because you've spread a lot more. Um, and product management is like a, a generalist role. So you, you're, if you can't adapt to being able to learn multiple verticals, um, my view is that you, you will crumble because that is the core, uh, core role. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, 
Rishad, completely agree on the credibility aspect, which you started off. I think it's a big one and then kind of aligns not opening the Pandora's box here. Or I think uh, AI is, is part of everything and, and uh, it, it really uh, is part of what we do on a day-to-day because, you know, just going back to why we are here, why we exist is essentially creating better marketing experiences on behalf of our brands for the end consumer. It all is around creativity, is all around understanding how do you journey map various media touch points, etc. So we do utilize a lot of that and, and we do we are working a lot of products that can help us ideate better, be more productive. Uh, lots of use of automation and machine learning to be more data-driven in prediction, right? Of what a sales forecast could be, what a churn for a customer could look like, uh, what could be a better uh, customer experience that could be put out. So while we are trying to do all of that, there are, I think, a couple of things that I do foresee which will uh, become important for, you know, product management to... Uh, look into as we build newer products, which is um, the one around, um, you know, having more responsibility around the ethical considerations, especially, uh, you know, how your products are utilizing data, what are the biases sometimes that are creeping into some of the models that you might use. So a bit around the ethical considerations uh, around uh, better product build and, and management will be important. Uh, the other piece that, I mean, again, is out there is everything around sustainability, right? So, I mean, just um, because we are quite deep in digital marketing, I can tell you that it's a contributor to the carbon footprint. So, every product that we put out, is it able to really help our end clients in some way reduce their uh, carbon emissions for their digital activities, right? So, you're talking about building, you know, product or strategies that are helping uh, more carbon efficient marketing, right? So products around that are going to be important. So uh, uh, paying the heat to looking at the environmental and the sustainable aspects of uh, product management as well, uh, you know, could be an uh, interesting one, you know, in the coming future. And yeah, I mean, uh, Daniel, as, as you kind of rightly summed up, it's it's more around everybody is becoming data driven and, and a lot of easy to use tech resources, ideation uh, solutions are available. Uh, and hence, I think the digital literacy and the data literacy is something that's going to creep into every nook and corner or every uh, team out there, uh, you know, as we kind of go into the future. Yeah, fantastic insight, guys. I know you ran a little bit over time, but I actually really enjoyed this conversation. I wanted to learn a lot more from you guys, but we have to come to the end. So thank you guys for joining us today and shedding a little bit of light on the intricacies of building a high-performing product team. I mean, to our listeners, remember that creating such a team takes dedication, strategy, and ongoing learning. So stay curious, stay innovative, and keep those products shining bright. And that's a wrap for this episode on the Evolution Exchange. Join us next time as we explore more captivating topics in the ever-evolving world of product management. Until then, stay inspired and keep innovating. Bye.